Thank you for joining me for another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dian. Today, I'm joined by Luis Escorbe. Luis, thank you so much for coming on the show. Hello. Nice to be here. It's great to participate on your podcast. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here for the chatting for the next hour. I'll let you go ahead and start by introducing yourself and what you're known for. Oh, okay. Well, uh, first, let me tell you thanks for inviting me for your podcast. and. As you said, I'm, I'm Luis Ascorbe. I am a software engineer here from Spain. I am currently based in Barcelona. I work on a, on a startup, a small startup called Beams, in which we are trying to create an audio social network kind of thing. You can check it out. We are on, on, on the App Store. Or um, you can follow the link through my profile on Twitter, which is um, Lascorbe. And well, as you know, I also organize a conference which is called NSO Spain, and we've been doing it for a few years now. Yeah. So this is my life. During the day, I work on Beams, and as a side project, I have I have NSO Spain plus a beautiful small kid. <laughs> nice, nice. That that'll keep you busy. Yeah. So NSO Spain is this year after. Uh months from now yeah is there something different you're doing with ns spain this year compared to the other years well let me tell you that ns spain this year is going to be the 10th edition so we, we've been running ns spain for eight years in person and then we can say thanks to the pandemic that we like had to rethink how we made ns spain the last couple of years it was really interesting to work on moving a conference that was already always in person to being just only online. And when when I think about it, it's crazy to see how many things are different from organizing something something in person. But now that we can go in person again this year, I really like the in-person format. I don't know. We've been thinking about doing the hybrid event so we can have like an in-person event and then people joining uh, remotely. But since this year is going to be like our comeback, we wanted to focus on the in-person experience. And maybe in the future we can work before beforehand to to see how we can do an, an hybrid event. But the problem with Dennis Spain is that is very focused on the format that we are managing at the moment. So if it's online, it's online. If it's in person, it's in person, right? Uh, I don't, I don't know how to work around a hybrid event, but yeah, I will try to attend a conference that does this and and see how it works for them. I mean, if if we can bring something, something from that. In terms of what we are changing this year, I well, being in person is a big deal for sure. yeah after two years of pandemic like i would love to bring someone crazy like uh chris federighi or steve warniak right um that would be incredible but at the end of the day what matters is that we provide a really good experience and we are going to try to have like a really really good quality conference this year like really good food really good talks really good coffee, really good wine, really good water, like everything is going to be uh, like really good. And hopefully people will like what we are doing this year. 
but nothing for now. I can I cannot say if we are going to do something crazy or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's awesome that it's in person. I think that's fantastic. I we had John Wilker on last year, and he was just saying how difficult it is to do hybrid. They do hybrid for three sixty iDev. So I totally understand where you're coming from. Yeah, if you want to do a totally remote conference, great. If you want to do a totally like in person conference, great. But like doing both just seems really, really difficult. Yeah, I mean, I spoke. I had the opportunity to speak on a Spain a couple of years ago, uh, twenty twenty, remotely, right? And I enjoyed it. It was it was fun. Technically, it was from the future, so you know, I haven't given that talk quite yet on Swift package packages, right? But how has it been like the last two years doing a remote talk and well, or doing a remote conference? I'll first start off asking that, like just the last two years of the pandemic. How has it, how has that been? Yeah. Well, I think the first year worked really well because we were kind of in close to our homes somehow. And it was good to, after the summer, have uh, an event where we could meet and see each other. And I think it also worked really well, the platform we chose, which was um, Remo, Remo.co, and which forces you to be on a table and and then you are kind of on the same space with another seven people. And then it kind of creates this space where it's easier to enable the camera or the microphone and, and start chatting with other people. And I think we had like a, such a great time, you know, hanging out in front of the computer that I actually forgot sometimes that we were on a remote event, right? Even at the end of the event, we did this uh, after party. And I remember like uh, Antoine and Donnie and um, uh, several speakers, Berta, which uh, was one of the MCs during the conference. We were all, you know, like uh, partying with some music on the background. We even had like like um, lights uh, behind us lighting up, like if we were on a bar or something like that. It was <laughs> super fun. I think I, I left when it was like 3 a.m., something like that, because I, I slept uh, really poorly that week. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was a really fun event and an after party. And another cool thing was that we had this crazy idea of running an event for 36 hours. Yes, yes, that was awesome. Yeah, and, and thanks. And yeah, I think it was it was really good. It was uh, and it was an interesting experiment, and I think it worked pretty well, to be honest. But it's true there were some hours there were not many people. But I have to say, all MCs were uh, did a great job. Berta, Daniel Steinberg, and and Tim Oliver. Uh, so they were covering all the time zones, uh, uh, you know, like Europe, America, and Asia mainly. I'm really grateful for having them, and I think they did a really, really, really good job. So, yeah, I think those two years were really good in terms of the output and the stuff that we did and how people enjoyed the event. But I really miss seeing people in person and getting everyone, uh, you know, back to Logroño and enjoying some tapas and the Laurel Street. And yes, I love tapas. <laughs> So uh, the question I was going to ask was like, would you ever think about doing like two conferences per year? One that's in person and one that's like the 36 hour conference. I know it's more work for you, but like, yeah, there is, there is benefit to that, I guess. 
Yeah, I don't know. I I've thought about doing two conferences, to be honest, but not doing like in person and and online. More like in Spain after the summer in September, and then another one around February, right. something like that. But on a really like ideal location, something like Caribbean or Canary Islands, you know, like let's escape the the winter. There's like a Swift Islands conference, isn't there? Like something like that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 but Swift Island is uh, in Netherlands uh, in in August. So um, I mean, it's pretty good. I've been there. They do that really good job. It's super fun. But we need something from December or from November to March to escape uh, the winter. Hawaii, yeah. I mean, this is an idea, and, and I, I've, uh, it's something I've been actually exploring. And we're getting a video, so. So it's planned. We have, it's going to for sure happen next year. Go ahead. What, what's what's happening next year, Luis? Yeah, maybe I, I I go for it, but it's going to be like a really small conference, probably 50, 60 people, kind of Swift Alps, right? Which they do this kind of more workshop-oriented conference. So my idea was let's create a package with a resort in Punta Cana in Dominican Republic. I actually have been talking with a hotel there to see, you know, like uh, prices, the conference venue. I've been there actually, and it's pretty nice. And my idea was to offer kind of a package of, I don't know, five days, something like that, or uh, maybe more. And then do something like we do things during the morning, probably uh, yoga, surfing. Let's enjoy, you know, like the space, the weather, the beach, the pool. And then maybe have some session in the afternoon, like uh, let's explore navigation on Swift UI. Let's use uh, the composable architecture on an app that doesn't have it, or let's create something from scratch and some workshop, some uh, interesting stuff to look into and have some fun uh, all together, right? So we had like a vacationing holidays trip or a fun trip until some kind of also work and, and learnings that we can do. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, release notes, they did Mexico a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. I know that. I mean, that's obviously more business than developer, but still same space. And then, um, I don't know, as a family man, there's a conference here in the Midwest that you bring your whole family to, and it's at a water park, Code Nash. That's a lot of fun. We bring some of our kids and then I speak at it usually and then they can go during the day. They have actually kids events. But yeah, like I like that, like where it's like it's more than just go, go to talk, go to talk, go to lab. But yeah, I like that idea. That's that's awesome. Yeah, and, and and it's nice when you can combine an event with the with family as well, because there are a lot of parents that want to go to conferences, but it's hard to to know what to do with your with your kid, especially when you are traveling overseas or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, actually, one of the things I'm trying to fix or bring up is a daycare or, or a space where people can bring yeah. their kids at the of Spain. Uh, because actually, I've, I've been getting some requests about this over the years, uh, but it's really hard. It's really hard because there are a lot of legal implications and yeah, it's not easy to set up. Yeah, I I sympathize. Yeah, I get it. Is there anything else you want to talk about regarding Anna Spain? Anything you want to announce? 
not really. Um, unfortunately, the call for papers is over now. Uh, we close it, so we are reviewing all the proposals. Otherwise, I would say like, please uh, send your proposal. And Spain is going to be great this year. We want you to be on the stage. But uh, yeah, it's a bit late for that, unfortunately. On the other hand, you still have time to get a ticket. Yeah. Do you have any promo codes for for our audience? If we have promo codes, actually, we don't do promo codes because we have like a um, uh, budget over the cost of what gets into the tickets. So we do this really exclusively for um, sponsors or for bunch of people, right? So what we can do for um, power-ups is that we can give a 10% discount to everyone since we can say this is a, a big group of people, right? Yeah. Well, thank you. Really appreciate that. Yeah, that's awesome. Definitely take a look at that. We can put the, the link to the discount afterwards on the on the description, right? Perfect. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then what are speakers being announced? Uh, yeah, well, uh, we are reviewing proposals, and I think in maybe a couple of weeks or three, we can start announcing them. Because the thing is that now we can choose the proposals, but then we have to contact them. And then we have to make sure that they are able to actually come those dates uh, to answer Spain. Hey, folks, it's that time of the year again. Conferences are starting up. We already just had the announcement for WWDC. But there's one developer conference I have talked about. This is probably the third year, and that's 360 iDev. It's a fantastic conference that you should definitely check out. It's had guests that we've had on the show, like Joe Chaplinski, Ben Chatelaine. We've even had the organizer, John Wilker, on the show just talking about conferences and and how they've gone uh, last year. It's a really good conference. I'm planning on going in person, regardless of whether I speak or not. And you should you should definitely do it too. They do have a remote option as well. And if you use the code Empower Apps, then you will get 20% off. So I highly recommend taking this opportunity right now. Go to 360iDev, get a ticket for the show as soon as you can, and get 20% off. It's in Denver or remote. It's up to you, whatever you want to do. There's going to be a great set of guests. I can guarantee that we've had some of those guests on folks like Ariel Michelli from app figures and folks like Joe Chaplinski, Ben Chatelaine and more. So take some time, go to 360 iDev and I am really looking forward. Let me know if you are going because I am really looking forward to seeing you there. Thanks. So probably around the time this episode is released, might have announcements or we'll have announcements soon. So I'll definitely be putting that in the show notes um, or retweeting that out. So follow me and uh, Luis if you're interested. Thank you. Well, that was awesome. You want to talk about what your thoughts on WWDC this year was? Ooh. Um, How much have you caught up on WWDC this year? What do you think is the big theme, I guess, from the announcements? The big theme... Mm, that's a good question. I don't, I really haven't thought much about it, but I really like that they released like the next iteration of the Apple silicon chips. So if we are going, you know, to M2, 
uh, that means that there is a, like a, there's going to be like a really good pace on how are they going to increase the power of all the machines because right now is for me mind blowing uh, i have um MacBook Pro M2 with uh, a Max, I think, and with 32 of RAM, and is like the best. Is this one where I'm talking right now? You have a 14 inch, yeah, MacBook Pro, yeah, 14 inch. Yeah, I mean, it seems like I'm totally gonna get this wrong, but it seems like the M1 is based on the A13, and the M2 is based on the A14, maybe. But it seems like they're basically like, yeah, they get out the new phone. And then in a year or two, they put out the Apple Silicon version of that that chip to M1, and then they get the M1 Pro and the M1 Max, and then they get the M1 Ultra. And then my guess is they're going to have like a totally different prefix letter for the Mac Pro, probably because there's like a bunch of modularity stuff that people want. But are you going to get an M2 laptop? Actually, I've been thinking about it. I, I chatted about it with... Um... Paul and Gee on Twitter about you know like benchmarks and and other people also contributed. Um, thanks everyone for um, sharing some links and and helping on the discussion. This is like my work laptop and I have an i9 personal computer, which actually I bought like six months before they announced Apple Silicon. Oh. <laughs> so I have like a max out 16 inch i9, which is totally useless now. Is it that bad? Compared to this machine, it's really bad. On this, I can work without thinking on delays or anything. I just compile and just, you know, pull, push, compile, chain branches, uh, do do everything. And on the E9, it's like, I just spend so much time on Twitter while it's, you know, <laughs> reloading all the packages and everything is... Honestly, I kind of miss that. I wish I had a slower computer so I had more time to waste time while I'm waiting for an Xcode build. It's, it's what, what is that, first first world problem? Um, yeah, so you're looking at buying a personal... Are you going to get an M2 Air or an M2 Pro? I think they they yeah. Which one, they, yeah, I, I was going to say, I don't understand why they still have that computer. Like, it's got a touch bar on it. And, like, the new design, it's tempting. It's a little bit tempting for me because I have an M1 Air. And, uh, I bought an Air as well last year for the M1. And, like, I just, I don't want a fan. And I don't, like, I don't need the touch bar. It's, like, there's so many benefits to the Air. And especially this year with the new design, it's, like, why do you get a Pro? Like, unless you're doing a heavy get intensive graphic stuff and like you can take really benefit from the fan which i highly doubt like maybe it's worth it but honestly like that air is like really nice and i love i love having an air right now the m1 air like it's just fantastic computer and i think my ultra is maybe a little bit like it is faster when i do a lot of things which is what I use it for. But when I'm only using Xcode, like the, the MacBook Air is totally fine as far as what I need to do. I don't do the video editing for this show or anything like that on my Air. So yeah, it's a it's an awesome computer. I'm, it was a com- that probably will be out by the time we release this episode. Um, and then you could order it. But yeah, I don't get I don't get the pro. Yeah. So right now you have an Air M1 and a Mac Mini? Or what's the other one you have? I have a well let's let's start from the oldest to the newest. So I have the MacBook Pro 2016 
that will not run Ventura. And I don't think the battery works on it anymore. And I use it for, for CI. And then I bought the first M1 I bought was my M1 Air um, to basically replace that. And that's awesome. 16 gigs, I think. And then I actually bought a Mac Mini in February for CI, like 600 bucks, 500 bucks. And it's like awesome to have just a backup computer running all the time. My, my CI builds. And then I got a Mac, Mac Studio. I got that in May, May or April with that, like pretty much maxed out, except for what's the thing? I think the core, there's like, you could get more graphic cores on it. I got the one with the less graphic cores. I think that's, that's the only thing I didn't max out on it. But you max out the, the, the processor. If you. No, because I think there were three choices. I think I got the middle choice. There's one with the like, I think it's 48 core GPU or the 64 GPU. I got the 48 GPU, which is plenty, right? I'm not, I don't do 3D modeling. I don't. So yeah, it's plenty for what I do. But yeah, I mean, this Mac, Mac, Mac Studio is awesome. And the Mac Ultra, it's amazing. Hopefully my audio editor doesn't have to deal with a fan that runs. I don't, I don't think it's been that loud. So, um, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. I was going to ask, uh, do you have some benchmark on a project that you use on both machines? Like on the air versus the air versus the Mac studio. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't honestly think it's that big of a difference. It might be like half the speed on the studio. Yeah, yeah, I think where the studio, like where I really take advantage of it is when I'm like running Slack and Final Cut and like 12 Safari tabs as well as Chrome running and recording an episode. And like, I feel it definitely more when I have a bunch of apps I'm running because I seriously I edit episodes while I'm doing having Xcode open. So it does happen. Like, I definitely feel it there. And I probably is like a third to maybe a half faster for compiling a project, but like, obviously I have more stuff running now on the air. Like if I have like a bunch of stuff running, yeah, I'll, I'll notice it much more. I think, yeah, I think on the, on the studio, it's definitely the, the, the running all those cores and doing a ton of things at the same time is where I really feel it. Like also I don't, the other intensive thing I do is render these episodes out, right? These are 4k uh, that I render out in, in final cut pro. And like, I don't know, it takes me like maybe 45 minutes an hour. Like it's basically however long the episode is, it takes me that long to render, which is really good compared to when it was an iMac with Intel. And I think it was taking me three times that on the, on the Intel. So. Yeah. yeah, I can, I can imagine that uh, for sure. I think my i9 uh, spends five times more um, compiling the, the bricks I use on my, on my Apple Silicon one. Yeah, so I can I can totally see that. Yeah, yeah. My iMac was probably slightly slower than the MacBook Air. And that says a lot for for a computer that I probably spent three times as much on in 2019. Like the MacBook Air compiles and runs like Final Cut, like probably as good as the iMac, which is amazing uh, for a small little portable computer. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Did you watch any, and were there any talks that you watched this year that you particularly were like, oh, that's super interesting? Well, actually, yeah. Um, other of the changes I, I like, well, I like, 
I'm I'm curious about this all the stuff around navigation that Apple uh, Apple release. I've watched uh, this uh, cookbook uh, episode about navigation, mm -hmm. and yeah, I think the intention behind you know like navigation stack and I mean we we can we can talk more about it, but uh, roughly all the stuff that's new around navigation stack and everything are still you know like a bit. Apple's way of releasing stuff, which is we think this is the way people do stuff and then they just bring it up. But there are so many other cases that don't really work around it that, yeah, I really hope that they take a look at all the feedbacks, especially the, the point free guys that um, they've been feel, um, uh, feeling around this because it's lacking, it's lacking a bit of stuff there. Yeah, I think it's a it's an interesting take on it. Like, I'm really interested in how the um, not navigation link, navigation path. It seems like a really mm -hmm. interesting way of going about it within the navigation stack, and the way you can also like abstract that out into a navigation path and and things like that. Like, yeah, I'm in the same boat. Like, I'm really trying to deep dive into this navigation stuff and understand it. I have like this old UI kit app that I use for talks for like beginners. And I want to like take that GitHub project and move it over to Swift UI iOS 16 um, and navigation stack and really take advantage of it. I also find it interesting how they like pretty much deprecated the old navigation stack. I and mean, by, by stack, I mean programming stack, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like all that old navigation view stuff is pretty much deprecated now in iOS 16. Like they really want you to move to to navigation stack. I really like this approach. You know, it's an approach where Apple is a bit, is is being a bit bold and and having some strong opinions on what do you have to do or where the Swift UI framework is going to. Right, but there are a, a couple of really important issues around uh, navigation path, um, which is um, something embedded in navigation stack, right? Uh, one of them is that I think there is no way to have a, a trigger whenever you tap on a navigation link, which is linked to a navigation stack. So for example, if you're on a child view and you tap on something, right? And then you are going to navigate and you want to, I don't know, uh, trigger some analytics event to know that the user tapped that. There is no way to do this currently. You're specifically talking about analytics? Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about having a way to know when the user taps a navigation link. Ah. Whatever you want to do. You want to do a, like a side uh, effect because the user tapped that. I don't know if you can use something like simultaneous uh, gesture and then you add a tab. I haven't tried it. I haven't tried it. Yeah. So basically, like, I don't know. I've been doing a lot of view in JavaScript or TypeScript. And like they have the idea of like on before navigation or on before update or on after update. Like almost like you need like an event handler is what you're saying. So that every time the navigation changes, you can take that path and do whatever you want with it. Send an analytic event or like whatever it is you need. Like you need, I, I, I'm sorry to say it. You need a delegate, like basically a navigation delegate to be like, every time the path changes, you can do something. That's what it sounds like, right? 
Yeah, 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 totally. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm talking about ch child abuse because at the end of, you can modify, uh, well, you can use the navigation path to get what's called, um, uh, navigation destination, I think is the modifier. Right, right, right. Yeah. Where, where you get the data and then you choose the route where you want to go to, right? And then I guess there you can find some way of triggering whatever you want to do. But, my issue is more towards not being able to do this from a child view. You know, when you're, when you are like, I don't know, four levels deep and you tap something and then you want to do something else, right? Which brings us to the next issue, to the next main issue behind navigation stack. With this, you have to know all the navigation possibilities from the root, right? So the root is the one that knows where to go. Yeah, you almost need like a four, like, because couldn't you do like a four each loop? But then like in each of those, do you also in the review need to like your grandchildren? Like you shouldn't need to know your grandchildren within your root. Is that your, that's kind of what you're saying? Yeah, uh, the, the problem is that you can do navigation destination on a child, right? But imagine this, a child on, only knows its scope, its, its mm. area. Imagine that you have an app with frameworks and then you have, I don't know, a profile feature and then you have item feature, right? Those uh, frameworks want to work on their own scope and they want to manage their own navigation because it is everything encapsulated within them, right? They have to actually report or expose everything to whoever is the root because that's the one that knows how to navigate to whatever view uh, it has to go to right and you can you can have a navigation destination on a child view but there is no way to say i don't know how to handle this route so it bubbles up to the route and then the route knows what to do there is no way to do this um there is no way to report that you cannot do that Right, right. Because that's like, that was one of the sticky points with navigation view was like, you had to like know all your navigation ahead of time, right? Like, that's not always the case in most iOS apps. Have you been doing a lot of Swift UI the last couple of years or so? Yeah, actually, at, at Beams, we work a lot with Swift UI. When I started, we had a big chunk on UIKit and a small part on Swift UI. So it was more like many independent views were on Swift UI, but for the heavy stuff, we use UIKit. And lately, we dropped support for iOS 14, which made us be able to use more APIs from, from Swift UI and avoid a lot of problems. And at the end, most of the app is on, is on Swift UI. We are still using a lot of, I don't know if it's a lot, but all the navigation in our app right now is with is still with UIKit because yeah. it's really you know it's really deep into the architecture and how it works. We use combine to trigger like um, different navigation paths, and this works well with with UIKit. But we we will have to think how to change this on a, on a Swift UI world um, if we want to maintain kind of the same architecture. And for now, for us, it works well. We just have, you know, like view controllers that have, um, that act as a um, hosting controller and then lose the view. And uh, the good thing is that we still have all the good stuff of UIKit and the good stuff of Swift UI kind of, right? 
And right, and like that's the thing is like navigation is still more robust in UI Like it seems like navigation stack is the future, but like as far as now, like I'm kind of curious, maybe if you don't mind getting a little bit more into how you architect the the navigation to be in UI kit while the views and you're using hosting controllers, how you get those views and hosting controllers to like correctly push and pop when needed. How do you handle that right now? Well, uh, right now, what we do is that um, each each view has like a publisher. And whenever you want to navigate somewhere, you just trigger that. And whoever presented that view, well, not whoever presented that view, but there is someone in charge of presenting that view that knows how to navigate to that view and how to navigate from that view, right? Mm, okay. You can have this approach. Or you can also delegate the approach of the navigation within the view to whoever wants to, right? It's, um, is like really, really powerful. So right now there is no strong rules on what to do and who has to do what, but we try to, uh, follow that there is a specific way of navigating to a view or from a view. What's kind of the plan at Beam as far as like moving forward with UIK and or Swift UI and how how has that migration gone and how do you think it will go in the next year or two? That's a good question. I don't know, to be honest. I've been working on a small project with uh, TCA, uh, the Composable Architecture, and I really like how everything works there. The problem is that with all the API changes that uh, SwiftUI is, is bringing, you know, there is this three structure of navigation the composable architecture has that is not, is kind of not possible anymore. Um, well, it's not, it's not kind of, it's not possible anymore uh, with the new APIs because of, of the, these two main issues we discussed, especially the one that where, where we cannot have a way of reporting back that navigation destination cannot handle destination. Yeah, it's hard to have to, to think on evolution path, right? Just taking a step back, I was just going to say, like, how in Beam, how have you taken like a UI kit view controller and decided, okay, that's going to be moved to a Swift UI view? How has that process gone? You mean from um, aesthetics perspective? Like, what made us uh, make the, the choice of building everything with Swift UI instead of UI kit? How did you migrate an old view controller to, to SwiftUI? How is that decision process? What's the typical decision process and like migration process in doing that? You know what I mean? Without without causing too much friction and breaking your app, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, uh, actually, you know, we are in this fast-paced uh, uh, kind of environment, yeah. uh, startup world, where we are developing really fast and we really don't migrate things. Things stay the way they are until we, we don't use them anymore, right? So if we are going to do something new, then we do it with SwiftUI. If we are going to modify something that already exists, then we are going to use what it's already there. At the end of the day, we are all, all senior, and then you have to measure if it's better to migrate the, that view or to build it from scratch on, on SwiftUI rather than modifying what is there. 
So it's mainly around how many changes you have to do around this. Is it easier to just migrate everything to SwiftUI or is it easier to modify whatever is there and then we can move on, right? Is there anything in a view controller that you're like, oh my gosh, yeah, this should just be moved over to SwiftUI. This is crazy, especially with this feature that we're adding. Is there any kind of like big, obvious red flags? No, I don't know. No. For me, it's like when I look at something and I'm like, okay, I'm going to be reacting to a lot of changes. I think I want to use Combine and like move this over to SwiftUI view because it's going to be so much work having, like, especially with like the imperative way of doing things in UI kit, it might end up being more work than it's worth adding this feature if it's just going to be like, like, oh, I got to like change view will load and view did load. I got to do this. I got to have a selector here. It's like, yeah. Mm. I think I want to move this to a SwiftUI view. It's not worth it. That, I know that's kind of where I'm at. I got you wrong. I thought you were asking about if I'm missing something from view controllers that I want on, on SwiftUI. And I cannot think. <laughs> you can't think of anything from a view controller, right? Right. Except for navigation view controller, right? That's the, that's a whole other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the other way around, yes, yes, of course, is like you don't have to uh, set constraints. You don't have to think about how to structure everything. You don't have to think of how of many things are on a state. It's like it removes so many things you have to think about. Just knowing that you, you the state is going to be always right. 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 You know? Yeah. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about about WWDC and SwiftUI? I think we covered it. No, go ahead. I actually haven't. I haven't had the chance to uh, look much at, at all the stuff that was uh, released, mainly about around navigation, because this is the most where I was most more interested in. So yeah, yeah. I, let's see. Let's see how it goes. I'm. I am really looking. I'm really, you know, behind all the stuff that is um, all the uh, point free and the composite architecture people right. and uh, talking about on on GitHub and the discussions and everything. And I really hope that Apple and and the SwiftUI team looks at the feedbacks that are being provided. Or at least if they don't change the APIs, they say how they think we should move forward because I cannot think of a way to, you know, split this uh, right now. I haven't spent much time around uh, this stuff, but from what I've seen, I see it really hard to to move forward. What do we have right now? I'm sure Point Free will have some video out on it. If it's by the time we release this episode, we'll post it in the links. I am all the time thinking that this is going to be released like in five days. <laughs> Not in, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Bill, you've had a conference to work on, so it's totally understandable that you haven't you haven't caught up. Yeah, thank you, Louise, for coming on the show. It's been fantastic. Really glad to have you on finally. Where can people find you online? Yeah, uh, they can find me on, on Twitter. I'm Las Corbe, uh, like L-A-S-C-O-R-B-E there and of course NS Spain also has a, a link from the profile and yeah just wanted to say thank you so much Leon for inviting me to the podcast it's been great chatting about all this stuff and discussing with someone else uh, around all the stuff that uh, were released during the WDC 
Yeah, well, thank you, thank you for coming on. Finally, having a chance to to actually talk to you in person and stuff, except on not on Twitter or Slack. So, yeah, it's been fantastic. People can find me online at Leo J Dion on Twitter, and my company is Break Digit. Please take some time wherever you're listening to this podcast episode and post a review in Apple Podcasts. I'd really appreciate it. And also, if you're watching this on YouTube, subscribe and like, of course, and share this with others, whatever is your favorite clip or part of this video. I'll be taking a break uh, from the rest of the summer, so uh, you will not will not be having any episodes in August or the rest of July. Uh, but I will be back in September, probably talking about WWDC or maybe the new iPhone, but that's probably going to be more like October, honestly, at this point. So we'll see. So if you're wondering, please stay subscribed because I will have episodes again in September. I'm taking a break over the summer. Want to enjoy my summer. So sorry about that, but I will be back. Thank you again. And I look forward to talking to you in September. Bye, everyone. Thank you, Leon. Bye-bye.